Welcome to My Missioners podcast. I'm Karina Gavargazov, the founder of Mission Magazine, the first fashion philanthropic interactive media platform. Our tagline is for fashion for beauty for good. This episode's guest is someone who's been in fashion for a while. I attended their fashion show when I was starting out as a stylist. It was one of the first menswear shows I went to in New York City. We talk about his new post at Marist School, his veganism, where he sees fashion going, and guiding his students through a pandemic. We also talk about his charity organizations, Dog Save the People, and the Tiny Tim Rescue Fund. Please join us as we speak to designer John Bartlett. You're one of the first shows I came to see. Oh, wow. And I was really excited. And it's, it's such a magical moment when someone goes to a fashion show for the first time. <laughs> um, is it? You oh, can't. Yeah. It's like, I'm sure it's like when you when you first did your collection, you see it out on the catwalk. It's such a pinch me moment. Yeah. Um, unless you've experienced it, um, it you, you can't describe it. No. And I, so when I was at FIT, I snuck in, I, I knew some, I was trying to sneak into Calvin Klein's show and, um, <laughs> And a friend of mine uh, pulled me in and I remember standing there watching, you know, all the supermodels and it was really early days. This was like 1987. And um, it was like, oh, my God. And I was pinching myself then. Um, It's just that you can't describe it. And that was when he was showing his shows in his showroom, basically. Oh, my gosh. Wow. And it was like, you know, the room was so intimate and. And, uh, you know, the, then, of course, the, the shows grew and they became bigger and bigger and bigger. And I feel like they lost a lot of the intimacy, which so it's going to be interesting to see how because uh, New York Fashion Week is back on this fall. It's going to be really interesting to see how it plays out. Yes. Yeah, it is. I think everyone's had to to pivot and, and find a new way of, of, of working and, and being creative. And how has that affected working with your students, working with Maris, because I guess everything last year was remote. Actually, at Maris this past fall, so the, the college spent last summer of 2020 refitting all the classrooms and spacing out all the desks and and marking off, um, like in the design rooms, making sure there's enough space. So the designers actually were able to be completely in person. And then the rest of the classrooms, many of them were hybrid, so we would have for example, I taught one class, um, which is the history of modern fashion, and we had 15 students in the room and then 15 on Zoom, and then the other 15 would come in the next day. So there was a lot of in-person. It was still challenging because the school had to go on pause a few times because of high numbers, but in general, we were able to get through it. And then going forward, this fall coming, we'll be back on the ground fully and None of the remote classes will be offered. The students who were remote last year have to either be on campus or take a time off. And so, um, but it was cha- it was certainly challenging and a lot of mental health challenges with the students. And just, it was a very, very challenging year, but a lot of the students really thrived and the department certainly uh, pivoted and thrived. And we were able to create a, fashion show that was outside along the Hudson River. I saw that on your Instagram. That looked really cool, actually. Oh, my gosh. It was so beautiful. And the cool thing was that the entire show, typically we have the show produced by the students, but this one was completely produced 
by the students, meaning we were not able to bring in outside lighting people or sound or music or anything. So all the models were students, the hair and makeup were students, um, the videography, the photography, the every aspect of it was student run. And it actually was really profound. And we also created a virtual uh, fashion show as well that was shot uh, on campus. And uh, it was just beautifully done. So it's been actually a wonderful learning learning experience, I think, for so many of our students. And we've really amped up our digital uh aspect of our department and really understanding that as people are working more remotely in general, that the digital aspect is so critical. So this year helped for me to find a a better way to um, approach the department and the, the needs and the, the, the demands of the students is changing. So I'm trying to hopefully get in front of that. That actually sounds like a bit of a silver lining that they were forced to understand what goes into the production of a fashion show if they were going to do it on their own. And if they were starting out and they had limited budgets, well, you've got to do the lighting yourself and the music yourself. So it sounds like that probably was a fantastic experience and learning um, curve for them to understand it all. Oh, it was amazing. It was amazing. It it looked really, really cool. When I was looking at it, and then I think of... Um, recently made me, it, this was it triggered this. I saw um, a Saleron show, I think it was, that was on the desert and the line. And it made me think of the marriage, but it's all along the river. And it's, it was really, just thought this is really cool. It was clever that you had the space outside on the Hudson to do, to do that. Oh my gosh. We were so lucky with the weather. I mean, that was, that's the, that's the caveat that is a little bit scary. So, uh, so going forward, I don't know that we'll be doing it outside again, but it was a really, wonderful experience, wonderful moment, and really great for the school because it's a big part of the school's uh, outward-facing events. And to be able to produce that, and then at the last minute, the models were told they didn't have to wear masks, and it was just everything fell into place. Wow, wow. As it always does, don't you think? (laughs) Oh, it it always does. It does. Karina, I just want to let you know that at some point while we're talking, my dog walker is going to arrive, and you'll be hearing lots of Lots of barking. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay because we've got, actually got a lot of questions about your philanthropic um, and your rescue fund. So we've, I want to talk. So maybe I'll time it around that when they come in and make an appearance. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask what what inspired you to join Maris, like to get into academia. It's interesting. So I had for a couple of years. I worked in uh, nonprofit for animal advocacy. I worked for a couple of different shelters. And it was an amazing experience because it was something that I had really considered for for many years doing full time. And yet I kept getting pulled back into the world of fashion. And I because I, I love it. It's in my blood. I love looking at it. I love the 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 platform of fashion as a way to communicate um, and as a way to change people's minds visually and to adjust the eye. And so I was one morning, I was up, up early and the, uh, the CFDA, the Council of Fashion Designers of America, sends out a, an email blast every week, um, just with different things, different articles, et cetera. And there was a job posting for director of fashion at Marist. And when I saw that posting, I just said, oh my God, that's my job. <gasps> wow. And it was, it was a wonderful, wonderful aha moment. Uh, where, because I had been thinking about uh, 
I'd been thinking about higher education, academia. Every time that I would go to speak or to lecture or to go meet with students at Parsons or FIT or RISD, Pratt, I got so excited. You know, I got excited by the environment and it, uh, so it just all fell into place. And I, again, I, I really believe in uh, that I really believe that all things re- will be revealed and that it's really important to, to to put the work into it, to show up and to speak with people and to meet with everybody. And I met with this woman a couple years back who was also in academia, and I was speaking with her about just, I don't know what I want to do next. And she told me that with her own career, she had come from fashion and that she spent a couple of years just talking to everybody about everything. And that looking back, all of those conversations, even if they were all not necessarily related, all made sense and formed and, and guided her to where she was then. And she said, come back to me in a couple of years and let's see what happens with you. And it, and it happened. It was a wonderful, wonderful uh, moment. And, a, and a, um, it really validated this idea of putting yourself out there, talking to everybody, and but being open to what comes because it may not be exactly what you're thinking it's going to be. I think as you get older as well, it's that letting go um, it comes with experience, doesn't it? And just, um, oh, yeah. having like when I first had the idea for mission, it was seven years ago and I was telling my friends, I went, yep, yep. Six months, tell me six months, seven years later is we, I finally f- feel that we found our groove, um, with that last issue, but it's taken seven years, um, for that to really kind of come to fruition. But, um, it's all about timing, I think. And, and just like you saying, um, I mean, someone said to to me at the get go, you've got to just let go and and trust to the universe. And I was like, yeah, whatever, what are you talking about? Now I completely believe all that, that it's, you know, everyone here on this planet is meant to have a purpose and a reason and you've just got to let go and, and it will come to you. And that seems to be your ethos as well of what's how, how you've done things. Yes, at least lately, I definitely am, have found this um, this place in my life where it's about turning it over and, again, putting the work in, and but also understanding. I like the idea that we are on this earth for a particular purpose, or to learn a certain lesson, or to meet certain people, and so there is a there is an amount of effort that one puts in, but I do believe that. Um, a lot of it has to do with just letting go and not, and getting out of my own way. Yes, yes. Oh gosh, yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. I can relate to that completely. Um, but it must be so rewarding for you to let's because I just when we get interns here, often I'm sad to see them go because they come and they're quite quiet to begin with, and you just see them grow and develop. And that must be for you at, at Maris to see these brand new students coming that you're teaching to hopefully go on to bigger and bigger and great things and just nurturing that talent. I think it's, it takes someone's really caring to be in that role that you're in. I think that really cares about students. Thank you. And I, so it's interesting because this was my first year. So part of my job is that I have advisees. So I have five students that came in as freshmen, all incredibly bright and very, uh, very focused and I'm really excited to see where they land in a few years. And then another part of my experience was really getting to know a lot of the seniors who are leaving and some of them have jobs, but to see the amount of 
the level of refinement, the level of maturity and focus, and also compassion um, was was so exciting. And so I'm excited to see how my five advisees grow over these next few years. And my boss, who's the dean of the Department of School of Communications and Arts, which the fashion department is part of, he said that the really the most important job, my most important job is connecting with the students and that it all comes back to that. And my job is, is really, there's a lot of moving parts from looking at the curriculum to dealing with raising money to a lot of different things, a lot of outward facing job uh, parts as well. But really it comes back to the students and what has been beautiful. And I think it's this generation as well. They look at their their studies through the lens of such wonderful social justice issues or challenging social justice issues as well. Body positivity, diversity, sexual and gender identity, uh, sustainability, climate change, um, equity, all of these things. And so they're really uh, approaching both their studies and their career through this lens, which is not something that I necessarily thought of, I think, as I was coming up through the ranks. Well, I think it's, it's, it's a different generation. They've got technology now on their iPhones and iPads the whole time. They've been fed information the whole time. Oh yeah, that they you know they tune into. Um, was there a turning point? Because I, I was reading that you studied at Harvard. Um, yes, you studied economics and sociology. Yes. What made you get into fashion? Then was there something? That, was that a burning desire you always had, or was there something that triggered that? I don't know. Seeing a news piece or something on TV. Yeah. So interestingly, so I, I remember growing up and uh, my mom would get Vogue and I, I, I would read it cover to cover. I was fascinated by it. And then and I grew up going to a Catholic boys school. And so for whatever reason, every chance that I got, I would somehow manipulate my uniform to stay within the boundaries of acceptability, but to make myself different and individual. And, I, and so I started to understand this idea that clothing is a means of expression. And through college, especially at Harvard, I had all these fantasies of what Harvard people would dress like. Of course, they were all in, in sweatsuits, but I was like, every day it was a different theme, a different costume, a different identity. So I really explored it and, I, and experimented. But I had started, I'm from Cincinnati and I met students, I met friends in the nightclubs in Cincinnati at the New Wave Clubs who were all at the fashion school in Cincinnati and they were so cool and they they were i wanted what they had and they were all moving to new york uh we all graduated and and so i decided to move to new york and i studied i started taking night classes at fit but not really sure whether i was going to go into design or marketing or merchandising or pr and again i spent all of i spent that year meeting everybody and anybody from editors to uh, production people, uh, anybody that I could talk to. And I've basically found my way into the world of design and had some amazing internships. But it was something that was always within me, but I never, ever thought of myself as a creative person. And growing up in Cincinnati, uh, my, my folks, of course, wanted me to be a lawyer or uh, go to get an MBA. And they were not thrilled when I wanted to go into fashion, but they were they were also supportive, ultimately, and just said, okay, so if you're going to work in fashion, then do whatever you have to do. If you have to wheel racks down 7th Avenue, do it. 
shake every hand, pick up every pin, whatever it is. So they, they definitely gave me a wonderful framework. But I don't know. It was just I always loved fashion. I was always fascinated by how it um, in many ways reflected society or it was a countercultural reflection of society. And there's and having studied sociology, I found myself, again, sort of looking at fashion through the lens of social movements, sexuality, uh, masculinity, femininity, all of those things that were part of my early career as themes that I loved, that I really loved exploring. Wow. You were lucky that, that your, your family supported one. I think it's only, honestly, on this last issue of mission, my father used to say to me, when are you going to get a proper job? <laughs> and I was, when I was a stylist assistant, because I th- actually think we have people in common, like Anne Slowey and Mark Karmazad. Um, Anne was my first internship. Oh my gosh. I love it. I got off a plane from St. Martin's, landed in New York with no job, nowhere to stay. And I ended up at Hotel 17. And we're going back 25 years, which was just a dive um, back in the day. And Anne was the first one that she was at Women's Wear Daily at the time, um, that took me under her wing. um, And we're still in communication now. But um, those days were great and heady and experimental and and really quite creative. And um, I think I read that you did you have a nickname like bad boy or creative boy um, of I think was it the Wall Street Journal, Wall Street Times? Oh yeah, there was some. Uh, yeah, the bad boy of fashion, or blo- you know, that's one it. of those. I think and that's brilliant. Yeah, I like that. I do too. I do too. Because <laughs> I definitely liked to, especially working in menswear, which was it's more as quite a conservative, not as much now, but definitely a more conservative, more uptight industry and dealing with sexuality, gender, uh, all of those things made a lot of those buyers and editors quite uncomfortable. Uh, So I really liked to um, challenge what people saw on the runway and how they would perceive the the models. and, And it was really, it was a wonderful, wonderful time in my life. And do you feel that you bring that kind of rebellious um, creativity to what you're doing now with your nonprofits and with uh, Maris kind of teaching the students to think outside the box and not be so conservative and limited? I hope so. So the, the class that I taught last year, which I'm not teaching this year, every year I'm, I'm, uh, I'll be teaching one course. And last year I taught the history of modern fashion. And so part of the and, and when I got the re- the, the class is already being taught by someone else. When I got their curriculum for it, or the, uh, pardon me, the syllabus, it started in 1850. And I'm like, oh, shoot, I don't know anything about that. Oh, my gosh. And so I had to really, really study. But during the, um, I, I would go kind of decade by decade each lecture. But I really made sure that in every lecture, even if from the 1850s on, that I also talked about not only what was happening in Europe or in Paris or, you know, New York or... I would always make sure I incorporated social movements, um, the first gen- transgender ball parties, um, a lot of radical feminist movements within fashion, like the the invention of the bloomers, which was created by a woman, Amy Bloomer, here in uh, America. And just a lot of things that, again, were uh, planted seeds within uh, how people dress today, but were in their in their day definitely not acceptable and as i've gone through the decades as i got to the end of the course the last third of it 
I spent really diving deeper into all of the issues that I think the students want to look at, which is BIPOC fashion, um, body positivity, the modesty movement, um, LGBT issues, uh, sustainability, all those things that, again, I think are so such a big part of what fashion is uh, speaking to now. So I don't, I, I like to, I really want my students to really think outside of the box. I want them to think outside of what their influencers are wearing, because I think, again, they're so stuck to their phones. And it took me years to, to really research and to study and to find all of those artists and people and filmmakers who were in, of inspiration to me. It didn't all happen during college. And I want to expose these students. I gave them a great list of films to watch this summer. Next year, I'm, deal I'm working with the seniors on their portfolio. And um, I'm really excited to, to help them uh, work on their final thesis, et cetera, and really help them to make sure that it's connecting back to what's going on in the world somehow. God, they're very lucky to have you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, to give them that knowledge and bring them up to, like, to connect the dots, as you say, that I, um, I would imagine it's not normal curriculum in, in the schools to connect that with what's going on around the world globally, all the social causes that are happening, um, and bringing that into their work. Um, and with someone like you that's educated and, uh, and understands all that and that actually cares, it must be really, really exciting. It's almost like you've got these kids and they're leaving home, but when they graduate, it's like they're going off into the world. Um, do you think you'll keep in touch with any of them when they, um, when they go? Absolutely. And so I, I actually, this year, I spent a lot of time reaching out to recent alums and I've met a lot of the students that have graduated in the last five years or so. I'm creating it like a junior advisory board of recent alums because they speak the language of the of the students and they're able to really, I think, give them a much better idea of what to expect and how to prepare. Um, but I'm definitely like I, I've been in touch with a lot of the students now who are graduating. I'm trying to just to help them figure out where to go next with uh, with what they've studied, what they want to do. And it's going to be, it's, it's something that I'll be getting a lot out of my relationships because I want to learn from them. What are the jobs? What do they look like now? Because they're, they're not the jobs that I think that I knew 25 years ago. It's a very different world. Yes. Yes. And, um, I want to, I'm, I'm curious as well to, to understand, we're talking about you transitioning from, um, Harvard into FIT, but what made you become an animal advocate? Cause you're very passionate about this and it's something I want to, I really want to speak quite heavily on this about all your um tiny team rescue fund and dogs save the people um what made you pivot because i know that's something that you very very dear to your heart oh boy yeah it really is and it's um i grew up with dogs i always loved dogs but it, it, and i i would love to talk to the dogs on the street or meet people with dogs and i had um I shared a dog with an ex-partner, but it wasn't until I think I was turning, uh, well, I know I was turning 40. I wanted to get my own dog and I went to the North Shore Animal League and I met uh, the dog that changed my life, Tiny Tim. Tiny Tim was a three-legged pit bull who had lost his leg uh, on Christmas Eve and hence the name Tiny Tim. And he changed my life in so many ways. Um, and when Tiny Tim passed and I had started to I had a store in the West Village for a while, and I had started to do adoption events at the store with the North Shore Animal League out in Long Island. They would come in with a big mobile unit, and 
with a lot of dogs and cats and we would adopt out animals at the store. And it was one of my favorite days at the store. And it just felt so good to, to see these, these homeless uh, creatures find homes. And so I started to get more and more involved in the world of rescue. But then at one point, a friend of mine gave me a book by the uh, actress and activist Alicia Silverstone called The Kind Diet. And I had certainly been exposed to all the different ideas about veganism, vegetarianism, um, industrial farming, factory farming, all of these things. But I just never was really willing to connect the dots. And so this book, which is a very beautiful, very simple book about Alicia's own journey into her love of animals and her awakening. When I read this book, uh, I read it in, like back to back. I read it in, in two days. And um, when I shut the book, I'm like, okay, I'm done. And it was just one, again, a really amazing moment where I'm like, okay, I can do this. And this is important to me. Uh, so I stopped, I stopped eating all animal products, um, even eggs and dairy, everything that that's coming from an animal. I stopped wearing and selling anything created from animals. Wow. You know, leather, certainly fur, you know, I'd worked in fur years and years ago. I didn't like it then, but leather, cashmere, wool, silk, anything that was derived from animals. And so I went completely plant-based in my diet and then plant-based and then and or recycled synthetics in my clothing. And it was a really amazing period that continues to evolve and um, reveal itself. But it was just this moment of make again, for me, connecting the dots, because I always like to consider myself, I was a at that point, more identified as Buddhist and meditating and yoga, et cetera, et cetera. But I wasn't um, in the way that I, I would like to think that I am now um, really thinking about the the idea of compassion as something much wider reaching. And when I learned what goes on and how the animals' lives are affected and, and the loss that they experience, and plus the suffering, the, everything that is is quite unnecessary, at least in my life. When I learned about all of that, I just said, okay, I'm done. And what was cool was that once I kind of decided that I was going to pursue a vegan life, um, I started meeting some really wonderful heavy hitters who were on the ground with different organizations, uh, whether it was from an organization called Farm Sanctuary that has this beautiful sanctuary up near Ithaca, New York for farm animals or the people at the Humane Society or PETA or other groups that were doing really interesting and, and very important work, I started meeting all these people and started to, to get involved. For example, fur was a big part of the campaign that I fought against. Um, and that has been so wonderful to see how the designers using fur, the demand for fur, the retailers who've all stopped selling fur over the last five, 10 years, it has just it has been so amazing to see. And again, I think it's this idea that, yes, fur is beautiful. I remember my grandmother had a fur coat and a fur hat, and I was obsessed with it just by the feel of it. So I, I get it. But the idea of um, sacrificing a, a sentient soul's life for this was not worth it to me. Yes, yes. And so it has been a really, really wonderful journey. And there, there again, over the last... I mean, we've seen Stella continue to advocate and work, and she continues to evolve with all of the, again, with the world of both 
vegetarian, vegan clothing, but also now with a lot of the work that she's doing that's connecting back to climate change and environmentalism. Um, she's been doing this for a while, but now it's so wonderful to see so many more brands that are just coming, that are, are really coming to the foreground and doing such important work and, and connecting science to style. And that is like, for example, I'm, I'm wearing a, this, uh, there's a brand that I'm in love with that you might know called Pangaea. Oh yes. Oh yes. <laughs> I'm obsessed. And I have one of their, I have one of their seaweed t-shirts on today. And, um, everything that they do. And they're one of the coolest brands because they're doing everything uh, through this lens of science and through this lens of um, environmentalism. But this, there's great style. And that's the new thing is that there's so much wonderful product coming through the pipeline now that is incredibly stylish and forward thinking, but it is also made out of more sustainable or responsible materials. So it's been a, it's a new world and I, I'm so, it, it really excites me. And again, just coming back to the idea of animals. So with Tiny Tim, we he and I were together for about nine years and he died of lymphoma. And when he died, this was like 11, 11 years ago. Um, when he died, I started to volunteer at the city shelter here in New York, in Eastern, in East Harlem. And I remember walking, it was a winter night, and I remember taking the subway up there, and I was so nervous because I knew that I don't, you know, shelters are pretty rough uh, environments, very stressful. And I was walking up the street, and I imagined Tiny Tim walking alongside of me. And at a certain point, I imagined him jumping up into my heart and curling up like he would curl up into a little dog bed. And so he was with me when I walked into the shelter. and. While I was volunteering there, um, I started to meet people who had uh, independent rescue groups. And these were people that would basically get the list of the animals, dogs and cats, that were going to be euthanized the next morning due to lack of space or to disease or illness. And they would try to pull them by the morning. They would try to find... Um, wow. Uh, they would try to find foster homes or any anything that they could do to save this animal's life. And so... I, I met this one particular woman who had a rescue group and she was in there late that night trying to find a way to save this, this beautiful pit bull. And she said, if I had more money, I could, I could save more dogs and cats. And so uh, I just got this idea that while I can't, as much as I would like to, while I can't have, I was already living in a home with three dogs, while I cannot have more animals in my home, I can certainly raise money and do it with the with the tiny tim logo and raise money for these people doing this heavy lifting and so i started the tiny tim rescue fund and raised money and continue to uh, raise money for rescue groups so that they have more money for medical bills for temporary housing uh temporary boarding uh training whatever it is that they need transportation and um it's been a really really wonderful way to connect with these people who are really um again, on the ground, in the trenches, doing this beautiful work. God, that's incredible. That's incredible that you can do that. It's it's a brilliant thing. It's a beautiful thing. Just, I, I've never been to a shelter, but I can imagine that it would just be very, very emotional and, um, and would make me want to help instantly <laughs> oh, with boy. this. Yeah, it's a tear. I would be just in tears, I think. It's hard. I was volunteering for many years at the Yonkers Animal Shelter, and I would drive up once a week and walk dogs, and I hated leaving. I hated leaving and because I knew that 
the time that I had with them was very special, but then they were going to spend the next 23 hours in a kennel, you know, or in a cage. And I'm like, gosh, why I, I can't, why can't I help? And yet I understand that again, there's the, one has to separate. There's a lot of uh, burnout in that world. And, um, but it's getting better. It's getting better every day. Yes. Yes. I guess you, you have to separate, don't you, your emotions with that. Otherwise you don't get anything done. And, and no, it, yeah, it's, it's, yes, you get stuck. What do you think? I want to go back to talking about, um, you're talking about sustainability and, and fur free and, and Stella. Why do you think it's taken the fashion industry and other designers so long to finally get, um, kind of on, 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 connecting to climate change and the environment and using other products. Do you think it's to do with education and not knowing how and not having the accessibility to the science or, um, I mean, and do, do you think brands will ever go fur free? Well, I think what's interesting. So when I was, uh, working, uh, sort of at the height of doing designer fashion and doing re- runway, et cetera, the whole, the buzzword was luxury and luxury in those days meant, cashmere, merino wools, uh, calfskin leather, fur, um, luxury was all about the materials and the, the, you know, these very expensive fabrics or materials. And so I think that the designers that are, that are looking to make it, that want to sell at, uh, the higher end stores, they were certainly being encouraged to work in these sort of materials. And that was a way for them to stand out. And so with this whole buzzword of luxury, um, I think that that's part of how we started to become obsessed with cashmere, uh, et cetera. And so I think through the years, um, there has certainly been more technology, more science, a lot more uh, availability to more interesting fabrications. I think people are starting to see when they go to Premier Vision, the fabric show, or when they're visiting with their vendors, there's a lot more options that are recycled wools or things that are are created in a way that is definitely more responsibly made and yet in 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 20 years 15 years ago it was still really about this idea of luxury and that was how people were approaching fashion and what's been interesting is i've seen over the last couple of years and really in this last year but really over the last couple of years you started seeing people like prada margiela uh, starting to use upcycled wool, um, and then uh, Miu Miu has a brand has a has an upcycled collab with Levi's, and so there's all of these very interesting new initiatives that are starting to come from the top down, and so we are starting to really see a seed change, and company after company is going for free. I think Valentino just went for free. It started with. Versace, Armani, Michael Kors. Um, I, th- I think um, I think Yves Saint Laurent just went fur free. So th- it's really starting to happen. And now I think that they, and again, uh, Prada, who is known for their nylon bags, um, now they're doing um, recycled nylon. And so I think these brands are starting to understand that a big part of their responsibility is being more earth conscious and to really think about what the materials are and then also what happens to the garments after they're sold. So there's that whole circularity, the whole trans um, transparency 
that is in many ways replacing the idea of what what we consider to be luxury. And now luxury is very, very different. And the new consumer wants to know. And they, they want to know who made this garment, where did it come from, what is it made out of. And I do think the pandemic had a lot to do with that um, because it slowed everything down, supply chains collapsed. And I think that just that whole idea of producing to produce and overproducing and all of the the waste that the fa- the fashion industry incurs, I think that everybody is really thinking about that now. Finally, it's very exciting. Also, you, you realized during the pandemic what you, you didn't need. <laughs> didn't it? It's like you don't need to go shopping yeah. to buy anything. Oh, um, no. You can be sustainable and, um, and, and make do with what you have. And I remember just listening to you talk about how sustainability and 10, 15 years ago, I had, I had to do, a sh- I was asked to do a shoot for, um, I think it was for Spanish Vogue and we were going to LA and it was with Angela Linville and they were, I think they were prepping all, or there was producer prepping all the clothes for me and it was a sustainable shoot. Um, and when I got there, it was so awful, the clothing, um, because it was so, the design wasn't there, the aesthetic wasn't there, it just wasn't cool. Um, and, I, um, and I remember the, the, the photographer and, and, and myself, we walked in and we just went, what's this? What are, gonna, what are we going to do with this? We can't shoot this because it was horrible. Um, and you're talking about doing like a high-end fashion story in the well of a, of a Condé Nast title. Yeah. And we had to delay it and call in proper brands. We, we just couldn't use it. Uh, and it's, I think that's where the likes of Stella was so advanced that um, she brought sustainability. It's cool factor. When I went vegan and I was starting to think about how to move forward and, and what materials I wanted to use and reach out, there were, um, um, and with great respect, there were certainly, there were a lot of people who did not come from the world of fashion, but wanted to create uh, fashion products or, or clothing or accessories. And they weren't necessarily trained in the world of, of fashion. Um, they were coming at it from a very different place. And so the, the, it was missing that cool factor. Um, but now we are seeing so such great, uh, I mean, everything that I see now, and a lot of it comes through inst- Instagram, but like Jaden Smith's new shoes that he's doing with New Balance, like there's such, there's such cool stuff coming out that is naturally recycled and upcycled and vegan, et cetera. And, um, I think that it almost has to be now. And it's, it's, the world has changed so much. And I, and I give great kudos and respect to some of the early adapters who were um, people coming from the vegan community that were designing. Um, and they definitely were trailblazers. And yet it, it is, it's important that there is a, with the, with the materials being used, that there still has to be a, a true design aesthetic. And uh, that's what I think what we're starting to finally see now is that there is that wonderful marriage of uh, vegan with style or science with design. You're right to, um, to give a um, shout out to the early pioneers of it all because we wouldn't have probably got this far had they not started this course um, and figured out how you can make how something can be vegan and how I mean isn't it bonkers we're talking about uh, you're wearing a t-shirt that's made out of seaweed I know how would you even begin to make something like that but Pangea have just made it I mean they've exploded with what they're doing yes and they do um, like their coats that are made that are is flowered down and their grape leather shoes and 
And again, like they're using these really interesting science-based cool fac- uh, fabrics and materials, but the styling and the whole, the branding, everything is so right on. I think that's what engages the younger generation as well, isn't it? That it's, they're much more conscious of the planet, but they also want to wear things that are, they still want to be style conscious. Oh gosh, absolutely. And just, yeah, like Pangaea, just the branding, the way that they market, the models they use, um, the sense of inclusiveness. I mean, everything about it is so, like they, re- I feel like they're just, they're, they're, they're such leaders on so many levels. Your, your students are aware of all of this? Like, that they, is that something that's part of the Maris curriculum, that there's the technology and, and thinking ahead like this of veering off the normal um, um, fabrics and normal techniques? Yes. As a matter of fact, so one of our students from a couple of years ago won, uh, the CFDA has a scholarship foundation. Um, they do one that's a design competition, and then one is more of a, uh, it's called the Liz Claiborne um, competition and Liz, the Liz Claiborne company uh, gives a, a quite a big amount of money to the winner of the, of the award. And so we had a student who was, uh, she decided to work with the biology, de- with the chemistry department, pardon me, at Marist. She collabed with them and she was able to figure out a way to extract indigo dye out of um out of dead stock denim and create a whole new brand and so she won this award and so she represents this whole new sort of student body that is really thinking about not only fashion and style but also where are those materials coming from and we had another student who was working uh, she was growing leather um uh through um kombucha and she was a finalist for the CFDA award. And so they are thinking about it a great deal. And as a matter of fact, for next year, the seniors, when they d- come up with their design uh, thesis, they have to have uh, some aspect of sustainability as part of the, the thought process. And, but they really are thinking about it. They really, whether they're the designers or the merchants, they're all thinking in terms of um the end use about the the supply chain um the just they're thinking through uh the whole lens of responsibility which is really exciting that really is that well they they almost have to if they want to be successful i think nowadays and, and having a, um, a strong business model absolutely and the one the, the two other things that we're really starting to build upon is sustainability we have one one course but we want to start adding more curriculum there and then the whole world of digital 3d printing we have an incredible lab at our in our facility that does has all of these really cool things that i don't understand like 3d printing <laughs> and uh, other and stuff AI that, and all that <laughs> yes and um but we're really diving deeper into digital design and 3d uh design all of these things that are so necessary now um going forward. And uh, we, we want our students to certainly have the foundational skill sets of traditional draping and tailoring and sewing and understanding textiles, but then also that added skill set um, that comes with the digital and tech world. God, that's incredible. It's exciting. That's incredible. It yeah. really is. It really is. I like it because I'm learning something new and that's always a wonderful feeling. Yes. I have that with, with, um, with what I'm doing, like I, I learn from our our team are quite young, and so are the interns, and I'm I'm always learning off them. Um, 
for example, they showed me how TikTok worked last year. <laughs> yes, it's a revelation. I haven't gone down that down that rabbit oh, hole yet. Oh gosh, we we did, and and I was like, what What do you mean? What's it do? And they're like, it's really addictive. And one Saturday, I think it was last year, March or something. I spent maybe four and a half hours sitting in the chair going from video to video to video. And I thought, oh my God, this is addictive. I need to get yes. off this. Yes. Um, but it was a lot of like, we get a lot of the, I find a lot of content and inspiration off Instagram for when we're putting the magazine together. It's so just looking at these younger generation, how they see things through their eyes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy. It it's so well, beautiful. Wow. Oh, John, I want to say thank you so much for doing this podcast with me. It's, oh, my um, gosh. My pleasure, Karina. I think what you're doing at Maris is I can tell from everything you're doing that you're such a selfless, kind, giving back person. Um, and you love nurturing people and nurturing animals as well. And it's it's really nice to just hear hear that from an, another person and, and what you're doing and how you're so using your experience to, to benefit and help others is, I think, a wonderful thing. Thank you. It's it's interesting. My uh, so after I graduated from Harvard, I was doing. I was back in Cincinnati, where I'm from, and I was spending the summer working with a uh, social work group. And I was I was working with children, and and I thought, okay, maybe I want to be a social worker. And I remember my dad saying to me, who um, was a very wise man, he said that you can do. He said, John, you can do so much more. You can give back so much more and have much more impact. If you're doing something that you really have great passion for, if, it, if, you do, if you're doing something that you really love, and it may not be social work, it may, but you may be able to find a way to, to help or to be of service or to make an impact in somebody's life, but doing it mostly through what you love. And I think that that's how, I think that's what our, this new generation is starting to connect the dots about is that we are all in this together. We are all one. And Yes, it's very important to to give back, to be of service. But if if you don't do it through something that you're passionate about, it's not going to be as uh, effective or as satisfying. And so it's always wonderful when, when I see an artist or a fashion designer or a musician, a writer or anybody uh, who's creating um, something beautiful that's also somehow either reflecting back, teaching us or giving back to uh, the community. And that, that is just, um, I think that that's where our, where our planet hopefully is heading. And so I think that uh, to be able to watch the students do that as well is, is really satisfying. Yes. Wow. Well, hopefully one day when it gets a bit easier, I, I'd, I'd love to come up and see you and, and come up to Marist because the Hudson's gorgeous. It is. And it's a beautiful train ride. And we'd love to have you come up and um, and give us a lecture about your work, because I know that you would fill the house. So um, I would love to keep in touch with you. We will. Absolutely. Our next guest coming up is also a well-known designer. They became famous for their sleeping bag garments. She has received the Women's Entrepreneurship Day Pioneer Award at the United Nations in 2019. If you work in fashion, you know of this amazing woman. And if you are a stylist, you most definitely have used their samples for photo shoots. I know I have as a past editor many, many times. I look forward to speaking to Norma Kamali in our next episode, and I hope you will join us too. Thank you for listening. Take care and be well.